welcome on in everyone christmas has arrived around these parts at least it is ou texas week which means the heisman park rangers are back with another game preview i am ryan chapman joined by the hall of famer randy heights before we get into it do us a quick favor at rj heights 1077 at radios ryan give us both a follow there on the twitter machine that's where you can get all of randy's hot takes and all of my coverage of the sooners so uh randy what's up man hey man it, it's just a crazy week you say christmas eh, i don't know if we've been good boys and girls this year because it's not quite a lump of coal in the stocking but wow i don't even know what to say about this game and i think we, we've said it on all these podcasts we've done we've said it when we've talked to people all year long you know like with 2020 with COVID, it's going to be different. And this season definitely is falling in that different category. Oklahoma, Texas, to be honest, they're both disappointments. And Texas is a minute and a half away from being in the exact same position Oklahoma is right now, losing two games coming in to the to this game. So I don't even know how to look at this game. And it's going to be interesting as we break it down where you see things going kind of where I see things going, because I think as different as these teams are, they are very similar in a lot of aspects. Oh, definitely a Red River letdown this go around, because uh, coming into the game, you know, I've been talking about this all week. Not only does this game have a little bit of sting to it just because of their combined three and three coming in, Texas not convincing against Texas Tech, Oklahoma obviously still hasn't found a win in conference play. But when you think about it, Randy, Beyond Sam Ellinger, beyond the the pub that Spencer Rattler has gotten coming into this season, this might be the least star-studded OU Texas game, cumulatively, that I can remember in a long time, probably since, God, the very end of the Mac Brown era, maybe? Like, it's it just feels like nationally, like, I know this is one of the premier games, but if you're just looking at you know, top players that are known nationwide. Like, I'm sorry, Sam Cosme, Creed Humphrey, guys like that. Like, you're just, you're not household names just due to the nature of the positions you play. Like, as far as the superstars go, uh, this week feels a little, like, it's coming in flat. No doubt. I mean, I think when one of the players besides, of course, Sam Ellinger that you look at, that would be a big name, would be Stearns, the defensive back from Texas. But he had a down year last year. Texas's defense so far has been garbage this year. So it's not like you can look at him as being that star name. You're right. It, it, and, it, and what's really weird about it, because I will tell you right now, in my opinion, majority of these rosters, not majority, but, you know, I mean, it's the deepest talent pool in this in the Big 12 Conference, these two teams. You know, you look at them, they're guys that are going to go to the next level and play. But none of them have stepped up and played to that level. Now, granted, on Oklahoma's offensive side of the ball, part of that is they're young guys getting their first shot, you know, your McGowan, your, your Rattler, your Theo Weiss, you know, the, these are young guys, your Marvin men, all the receivers, they're young, they're new. So that's the weird part about this year. I don't remember a year where there's been this many young guys that maybe a year from now are the big household names, but right now there really aren't any. Sam Ellinger's it. Yeah, it's, it's Ellinger. And then, like we said, Rattler, just because of his preseason pub and then, Everybody else's has been's, but um, or also rands, not really has been's, but it, you know what I'm saying here. Right. 
But it's kind of fitting, though, that those are the two guys we've keyed in on because, like, we're probably going to start and we're probably going to end the podcast talking about this quarterback matchup and the quarterback play. As football has evolved over the last 30 years, the quarterback position has become by far the most important position on the field. And I think it's no coincidence that we've seen really over the last 20 years young, inexperienced quarterbacks who don't know what this game is because they haven't been through it overwhelmingly lose their first OU Texas game when they're going up against a seasoned veteran just because this game has more momentum swings than any other game on the college football calendar. This game has the most unique atmosphere and it'll be interesting to see Randy, you know, in most years we would give that huge checkbox to Sam Ellinger just because this is his fifth go around in this game versus Spencer Rattler's first start. But the atmosphere this weekend, the fact that there there is no fair going on, the reduced fans, things like that. Do you think that almost plays into Spencer Rattler's favor? Not necessarily that he'll outplay him, but he can kind of overcome the recent history of young quarterbacks struggling in this game. No doubt about it. I definitely think that'll benefit him. And I've been saying that all year long in the grand scheme of things with Spencer Rattler, not just for OU Texas, but for the entire year. He's getting road games in. You look at the Iowa State game. He got to go on the road. Played in front of what 12,000 fans you know and he's going to get that experience as you move throughout the year so that's why I've been saying in the end and I said after Missouri State regardless of how this season goes we can call this season a wash but the advantages that OU is gaining with all these young guys that are having to contribute this year for next year and the year after that I think is huge It, it gives them a leg up on some other people because these young guys are getting a lot of the same experiences without quite the same stress level. Now, it is OU Texas, and I'm sure he saw it last year when he redshirted. You know, he knows what it means. He knows what it's like down there. So he'll still be affected by it, but 12,000 fans on each side, it's not like going down the tunnel where there's 100,000 fans in the stadium. You know, it's still different, and it's going to be an advantage for him. Do do we think that the black curtain is still going to be in full effect, despite the fact that the... (laughs) If if the black curtain's still in effect, somebody just needs to be flogged. The first person that tries to pull it up, because I mean, am I wrong, Ryan? You got to think out of twelve thousand people, no one's setting in the tunnel, right? Well, the the black curtain is the softest, dumbest thing ever begged for by Mac Brown because any somewhat sober-ish fan who is there 15 minutes before kickoff will see what team is wearing their home jersey, which means that that team's coming out second. Putting the black curtain up has never, ever led to any kind of mystery as to what team's exiting the tunnel first. And now when both teams play intro videos, if you want to chug a beer over the curtain, you just got to wait until the video starts. Exactly. I mean, it's don't even get me on that. It has nothing to do with the game this year, but I've been ripping them since day one. And what's so funny, we talk about the black curtain. And that leads me into the other thing I was going to talk about. You got Mac Brown, ultra sensitive, didn't want his players harassed by the OU fans. And here you have Tom Herman, the head coach of Texas, calling the game OU Texas. I mean, yeah, it's not, not a good look from Tom. Uh, you'd think a guy in the hot seat would know better than that. Yeah, like, oh, maybe I should at least mention my school first. I mean, I'm like astonished. When I read that quote yesterday, I had to go make sure from two different Texas sources that that's how he said it. Cause I'm like, no, 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 you, that's you don't do that. that. Howard Schnellenberger, for an F as he was as a head coach, knew not to say Texas OU. I mean, it, it's like Tommy, t- Tommy, Tommy. 
This isn't good. Well, Bad I I remember so young Ryan, young impressionable, malleable Ryan. I, I've gone to the, this will be the first time in fifteen years that I haven't gone to this game, right. which is odd. It's going to be a weird experience. But I remember nine year old Ryan. I woke up all those years ago during my first OU Texas weekend in the hotel that next morning. And the paper that they still like delivered to your the floor right oh, yeah. in front of, yeah right in front of the the hotel door, the headline on it was you know Texas OU ready to battle or whatever. And I remember bringing it into the hotel room, being like, "Mom, Dad, what? It, why did they let them print this? Like it's OU Texas. Like it's not Texas OU. What what are, what are we talking about here? Right. Like, it doesn't make any sense. OU is shorter than Texas. O comes before T in the alphabet. It just makes sense. What is happening? I, I'm with you, and trust me, it's so weird because. You know, I've been in this business now 30 plus years going on, and I I grew up in Oklahoma. I was born in Norman, went to high school at Westmore, you know, Oklahoma through and through. And till I got in the business, I don't know if I even realized people called it South Red River, Texas OU. So what's really funny now is when I'm dealing with people south of the Red River, when I'm setting things up for broadcast and everything, and you're calling the State Ferry, you always have to make sure. I'm going to say Texas OU because you never know who you could potentially offend or make mad because you're putting it the other way. It's so crazy because, yeah, you don't think about it. It's like, who's saying it the other way? It doesn't even roll off the tongue. It just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But not a lot of stuff in the state of Texas does. We digress, though. Um, Back to the game here. Like, we know it's going to be weird. I I mean, I guess Um, it's going to be really weird. And before we kind of get onto the defense, because, like, Straight up, the story out of Norman this week has been tackling, tackling, tackling. Right. But I, I kind of want to go back to the offense before we get to that real quick and, and kind of talk about we, we had the discussion last week about, you know, leadership and things like that and who on the defense needs to step up. On offense, it's Creed Humphrey and nobody else right now. And it's obvious that, look, this, this is not a knock on Creed, but from the center position during the game, there's a limited impact you can have on that game and he needs some help. So I'm kind of looking, this is the kind of game where you lay your marker down and say, I'm going to go down in the history books as an OU great because of a performance in this game. I'm going to take that mantle of a team leader. Who on this offense does it need to be? Is it as simple as Spencer Rattler having a great day? Does it need to be a guy like Austin Stogner to show up and say, look, Spencer, I'm your guy, third and short, third and long, fourth downs, feed me. Does it need to be someone like that? Or or where are you looking on this offense as a, a second option? Uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I think it's Stogner. He's one of the guys, because we talked about it on the podcast review in the Iowa State game. He, The difference for Rattler to me this year from even the last couple of years, because even Jalen didn't totally have it either, because Calcaterra went out, you know, with the concussion and only played, what, half a season last year. Right. They've missed that safety blanket. They've missed the Mark Andrews. And I know it seems like I'm always going to tight end, but if you look at Lincoln Riley's offense since he's got here at Oklahoma, his safety blanket for the quarterback has always been Mark Andrews, tied in. Grant Calcaterra, tied in. I mean, how many big plays in the Big 12 championship two years ago run did Grant Calcaterra make big catches? I mean, Tom Herman at Big 12 Media Day, he's the Grant Calcaterra touchdown catches, the one that distracted him that he says still haunts him. You know it, what I mean? It, exactly. And that was only one of many catches he made through that year. And you look at this year, they haven't had that guy. Rattler made mention of, you know, and I don't think he's wrong when he said the offense didn't play necessarily all that bad. It's just some people, and he's including himself in this, needing to come through with that 
big third and five play. And that, to me, is where Stogner comes in. You've got to step up and have that guy that you know, I don't care what down and distance it is when I'm scrambling in the backfield, I know X is going to be open. I can throw it to him and he's going to catch it. Now, I think the other guy, and I actually heard Bob Prisbillo talk about it on the franchise today. He thinks the other guy that is still really going to be good and he feels like will be maybe the best receiver on this team by the end of the year, Theo Weeks. Yeah, he had that drop ball, but you've seen flashes. from. I brought up the Baylor game from last year when he had to step in and truly fill in for C.D. Lamb. He flashed a lot. First game this year against Missouri State and actually against Kansas State, he didn't flash big plays, but he was that possession receiver. I think between him and Stogner, those guys can step in and be that because, hey, you don't want a freshman to have to be your number one receiver, especially when you got a guy. We, it's like so many people have thrown Weiss away like he's nothing. I'm like, this guy was the number one receiver in the country, and if he wasn't, it was Hazelwood, who's not back yet. It's So it's not like you're dealing with chopped liver. you know. So those are guys that have to step up, and that's what I'm looking for. And I also wanted the guy, and then I'll let you get your thoughts. I Just really take the entire see, offense, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to see TJ Pledger, to be honest with you, because I love McGowan and his explosiveness and everything like that. I just think you see a little more maturity out of Pledger waiting on that offensive line to block and taking what they give. Yeah, and for sure, especially in this game, like a story that we always have is the team that runs the ball better is probably going to win this game. And that's because the run game is a microcosm of how physical are you at the point of attack. And I think it's boiled down much more simply to who's the more physical runners. And Seth McGowan, he's young and he's got a ton of talent, but in this game especially, if you see that a breakdown is happening and you're going to have a negative play, you have to plant your leg and get upfield and just salvage whatever you can because every single play matters in this game. And that's why I really like TJ Pledger there. But I I agree with that. And and what people kind of forget about Theo Weiss too is because – He was the understudy for C.D. Lamb. He did not get to see the field as much as a Hazelwood or a Trajan Bridges did or things like that. So he's almost a year behind them in way of, yes, he was studying under C.D. Lamb, learning every single thing that C.D. Lamb and what a guy to study under. Right. But he hasn't been able to implement that outside of some garbage time early in the year. And like you said, Waco. So he's a guy that I think just he just needs a little bit more time to kick it going kick the rust off because he hasn't played meaningful, meaningful contributions since the second half in Waco. But um, I'm not one to write him off by any means. Another guy I'm looking to, though, is Jeremiah Hall, because he's one of the few guys that can have an impact in both the run game and when OU starts to air it out. We saw um, Jeremiah Hall was the guy that they trusted on the goal line when they're running spider two wide banana straight to him twice. He was the guy that Spencer Rattler looked at on that big fourth down play in the third quarter in Ames. I feel like he's become that proxy for having a possession wide receiver other than Calcaterra or Stogner that you can kind of have your tight end go over the middle of the field and let him kind of flash out to the flat and find the soft spot for the team. And this Texas defense, it's weakest at the corner position and the linebackers. So that's ideally what you'd like to exploit is those mismatches with Austin Stogner coming across the middle. And if he happens to draw some safety help, well, okay, move Jeremiah Hall right into the space that he created and hope that he can make some plays in that short yardage. So I really feel like those are the guys I'm looking to, but especially because Oklahoma might have to get a little bit creative and and that's not a knock on 
what OU's done the, to this point. And, and like we said last time, kind of, I kind of compare it to what Mike Gundy has done with his Cowboy backs in the running game. I would like to see Oklahoma get a little bit more creative with Stogner and Hall, and, and hopefully you'll have a Braden Willis back. Who's kind of, It seems like he's been unfortunate with just getting dinged with missing games, not of his fault. So I'd like to see Oklahoma get a little bit more creative and more willing to use those guys in that manner, because as good as the Cowboy backs are, in Stillwater, these guys are that much more dynamic and they can be a threat. You can give a lot of the same looks and kill Texas on the ground and through the air if you get those guys rolling early. I fully agree. And, and you know, I think the other thing when people rip this receiving core, you mentioned CD. Yeah, Weiss was behind him, but I think I brought it up a time or two before. Even though they weren't superstars, instead of going to the young guys last year, even Bridges and Hazel didn't get that many snaps when you think about it. They had a ton of veteran receivers, and they may not have been guys going on to the NFL, but think how many seniors they had on this roster. So we knew it was going to be a slow year in some ways for these receivers because they're just starting to get those snaps. They didn't get spring ball. They didn't get a, you know, I mean, they've got fall workouts, but again, we know it's limited with guys being out here and there for quarantine. So, I mean, that's what I think you got to look at and go, this offense is coming along. And you talk about a leader. I, I really like what I saw out of Spencer Rattler on Saturday and in, in trying to take over that, being the quarterback, being the leader, when he convinced Lincoln, hey, this fourth down play, we need to go for it. We'll get this, coach. And they went out there. And I kind of wonder if that's what Lincoln's wanting to see out of him, kind of like, hey, you're the quarterback. You know what's going on. Judge your offense. Now, he's not going to let do everything Spencer wants to do, but that's what you want out of that leader, the guy that's out there defending your offense. So, I want to see how Spencer handles it this week and see if he takes a little more of that roll on because this is going to be a shootout. Anyone that doesn't think this weekend is going to be a shootout, you haven't watched Texas this year or Oklahoma. For sure. And I, like we said, I, I think Spencer Rattler answered just about every question I had about him with his response from the Kansas State game going to Iowa State. Although I must say, I do think he has a hand in uh, maybe icing our boy Gabe Burkich, given hanging his uh, first uh, missed kick on him. Maybe uh, Gabe lost some confidence after Lincoln yanked him to go for it on fourth down. So I- I'm not willing to say that there's controversy between Spencer and Gabe just yet, but hey, if it happened again, some, he's okay. Gabe, he did come back and make some, and he's still pound for pound. I think the, the most talented football player on this team, but neither here nor there. Um, yeah, this game's going to be a shootout. And I, and a lot of that has to do with the Oklahoma defense. And like we said earlier, Tackling has been the emphasis this week, so I, I I don't know. And you talk about Bob Prisbillo. He asked Alex Grinch this week, hey, how much more frustrating is it when it's not like you're throwing a bunch of freshmen out there and they're making these mistakes, but it is this secondary that has, what, 90 starts between them, I believe. And those are the guys that are rolling out there and continuing to make these mistakes. To Grinch's credit, to Sean White's credit, they said that they, they're confident and they believe that they can fix it. But, Randy, do we believe them? Well, I, I, I see it a couple of ways. I think, I think potentially they can, can fix some things. And what I mean by that is maybe it's going to be time pretty soon for some of the new guys to go in there and get a little more playing time. I, I don't know if you follow Joshua Eaton on Twitter. Just trying to read the tea leaves. He didn't say anything. But he, I think his tweet was something like something big coming in a few days. And he's a safety you know, kid that was brought in. You kind of wonder, is he going to start getting a few more snaps, starting to work in the rotation? I don't even mean starting. 
I mean, but, you know, rotating in and you start to wonder how long till some of these young guys start doing the same thing when Alex Grinch's first recruiting class. Because I, I think, and maybe it's taken coaches a while to even get adjusted to this. Because, yeah, we were used to they could play four games and still redshirt. Katie barred the door. Use everybody you want this year because you're all getting another year. You know, everyone gets a year. It's it's like um, Oprah. You get a year. You get a year. You get a year. Just use them all. Use it until you find out what you need. And that's kind of what I'm wondering if that's what's happening. And I'll say this. We talked about tackling. They tackled last year. I mean, they were the 35th ranked defense. So some of these guys that aren't doing it right now, did do it last year, so maybe that's even what Alex Grinch is looking at. Well, and, and I think Deshaun White made a lot of sense when he said, like, the frustrating thing is early in games we're tackling really well, mm-hmm. which means that we obviously can do it. Otherwise, it would be a problem for all four quarters and we'd start hitting the panic button, things like that. It's just a Deshaun White said he believes it's a mentality thing, which to me is a little concerning because, um, yes, so he was saying basically that's what we're doing all week in practices at the end of every rep. We're saying finish, finish. We see there's two minutes up left and, you know, the second team period, finish, finish, finish. And I'm just like, that's fine and dandy, but it's really hard for me to believe that you can all of a sudden flip a switch and all of a sudden you go from a team that is is not playing well in the fourth quarter to to mentally f- strong and things like that. Like, I think, unfortunately, to turn that corner, you just have to win a game and then you, that can give you the confidence going forward. I, I think they'll have a huge opportunity because, like you said, I think this will be a close game come down to it in the fourth quarter. But um, I think the unfortunate thing there about when you talk about everyone gets a year, um, Trey Brown also gets another year. Right. No, the, I, I mean, you're like, not wrong. Not coming back. So I, I think that'll be the interesting thing is, so on the week one, two deep, obviously this was kind of thrown out the window with all the contact tracing, things like that. Joshua Eaton was listed as a backup for Trey Brown's spot on the field. So that's kind of what I'm looking at because Randy, we talk about star power. I'm going to read you a few of these Texas wide receivers, and you tell me if these guys are striking the fear of God into you. Joshua Moore, Brendan Schooler, Brendan Eagles, Tariq Black. None of those guys make me quiver in my boots at face value. But well, then you Eagles, run down. Eagles is the only one I even, you know, you really think about. Right. He's the only one. Yeah, for sure. But but here's the problem, though. You start running down Joshua Moore. Let me give you a little more information. 6-1. Brennan Schooler, 6'2". Eagles, 6'4". Tariq Black, 6'3". Who are they going to be matching up against? Trey Brown, Turner Yell. They're both 5'10", as is Jaden Davis. Pat Fields, one inch taller. Buki, not even that. So that that's kind of been the story since Mike Stoops shifted to this style of corner that he's recruited. And obviously, Alex Grinch, he's only had one recruiting class that's his. You can't you know do anything to change these guys' heights. This is where I'm really concerned for the secondary because I I feel like a lot of the problems against Iowa State tackling was they did a very good job of putting Charlie Kohler, for instance, in unfavorable positions where you're now asking Buki to bring down a dude that has almost half a foot on him. I'm like, that's just hard no matter what position you're in. Now you're going to be in the same spot and Tom Herman's not dumb. I know we like to make fun of him, but, you know, he is a card carrying member of Mensa. He's going to know, hey, we can put Eagles in the slot and draw that matchup with Buki. And then all of a sudden you got a guy that's got six inches again. And that speed, like I really feel like unless Joshua Eaton's ready and he's ready to be thrown on now, 
these are some problems that like it, you can't fix them. You just have to work mm-hmm. around them. Well, I, I think part of that is I, I think we all want to look at size and receivers, 6'2", 6'3", 5'10", 5'11", you know, going, and it's a difference maker. Don't get me wrong, but that's where some of these guys, in a little bit, it goes back to tackling. And what I mean by that is the hard hitting, being somebody that levels a boom. If you're 5'10", you know the way to break it up. It's not jumping over his back. It's timing that contact right where when the ball gets there, you're laying the guy out. And I don't mean like knocking him out, but you're hitting him right in the gut where it's like, no, ball goes flying. Because that's what's that's kind of what's been odd to me because I've seen undersized size DBs for years play position. But the key is those guys, usually what they do, they bring the pain, if you will. Hey, I'm not going to be able to out jump this guy for his ball, but you know what I can do? As soon as his hand touches, I'm taking his legs out from underneath him where he drops the ball. There's other ways to do it. And I'm with you. I don't know if that can be fixed this week. I don't know if it can be fixed by the end of the year. But there's going to have to be adjustments where they figure out how do we play these tall receivers? Because Iowa State had them, Texas has them, everyone has them in the Big 12. Yeah, I, the the problem with that Randy is to to bring the boom as you say right when the ball gets there, these corners have to have their head turned around. Mm-hmm. And be able to identify when the ball's coming in. And it, look, again, not to, I hate to just hone in and pick on people, but like Trey Brown, he just hasn't done it his entire career here at OU. You kind of wondered when you saw Parnell Motley take that step forward last year if, oh my gosh, you can come in and you can coach that out of a dude that's been here for so many years. I, I'm starting to think that maybe Parnell was the exception just because. They're, they have been struggling, and Alex Grinch is the DB's coach, so you have to know that he's coming in and he is taking extra care with that group, and for them to still struggle, it's hard for me to feel like with all the jumps this Oklahoma defense made that that's a coaching thing as far as like some guys have just been taught the same way all this time. It, it's just hard to take four years of technique and flip the switch and turn it around, and unfortunately that's what has to happen for that to change. That, that's always my concern coming to OU Texas is Texas recruits. They, they have that special brand of they're the only ones in this conference that can get dudes that are that size and still have track speed. And that's what really kills you in these games. And and maybe they're not the most talented guys. They not they haven't always been. You think Jordan Shipley doesn't fit that. And he was one of the best wide receivers for Texas in this game. But it's just with the way that Texas is airing it out. Sam Ellinger's throwing the ball about five or six more times a game now than he did his last three years in Austin. I have to feel like with the extra opportunity for as much as OU fans love to bag on Sam Ellinger, he makes good decisions and he is good at identifying the mismatch pre-snap and getting the ball there. And I just feel like that's going to be a huge, huge problem in this game for the Oklahoma secondary. I fully agree. I do think one area that you have to look at and you watch the game from this last Saturday with Texas and TCU, we haven't really seen OU do it a lot, but especially... TCU did it on the offensive side, and this is a chance for the offensive line to show, but the defense did it a little for TCU as well. You look at that game, Sam Ellinger ended up having four INTs in that game and two touchdowns. And part of that, to be honest, Ryan, was Texas or TCU went out and said, you know what, we're going to manhandle you. We're going to be the biggest, baddest guy on the block. Now that's where you hope on the defensive side, and I thought the defensive line has played really good in every game this year. But this may be the time for that defensive line to even take it up another step. And that brings me to Ronnie Perkins being back involved. No official word yet, but 
I know Sooner Scoop hasn't backed down from their report. Jason Kersey hasn't backed down from his report. You know, so it's like you see that if he's back, maybe some of that forcing their will even helps those defensive backs a little better because now maybe they make Sam Ellinger make a bad mistake. Not that the DVs will catch it, but you know, maybe they get make you off the field on get you off the field on third down at least for the incompletion exactly. when it and hey, maybe the problem is that they've been practicing that situational football where it's better to take the arm pun on fourth down and bat it all the way down and they just, you know, forgot situationally when they're actually supposed to catch it versus dropping it. But yeah, like you said, last year in this game, this is where um, you know, the Oklahoma defensive line felt slighted and came up with nine sacks, which I think that even if you are Alabama coming into this game and expecting nine sacks is a, you know, a tall task. You can, it's not the expectation, but this defense knows Alex Rins has obviously shown he can get after this offensive line, a lot of the same pieces. And, you know, let's be clear, Lincoln Riley, he specifically said when asked about Ronnie Perkins, which is why we haven't seen um, Jason Kersey of the athletic and sooner scoop back down from this is he said exactly Ronnie Perkins status has not changed. Didn't say that Ronnie Perkins is still suspended or whatever. He just said his status has not changed, which is being interpreted as his status was he will be back. That has not changed. So even if you don't throw Ronnie Perkins, and like you said, this defensive line has been good. You saw Isaiah Thomas come along, Perrion Winfrey. I think Leron Stokes has taken a step forward this year. And if you can bring in Ronnie Perkins, like you said, after the Iowa State game, you know there have been questions about depth and can they keep it up? And maybe is that why they're wilting in the fourth quarter? Things like that. I find that hard to believe because as our good friend Keegan Renault, um, you know, stated, OU's faced the least defensive snaps in the country. So uh, that's a problem. But you add Ronnie Perkins to that stable. I really like the way that Nick Benito rushes the passer too from the linebacker position. I, I like. I really feel like OU has the recipe to get after the quarterback in this game. But like you said, I don't have any faith in the secondary once again to, to actually make ticks, Texas pay for that. So you're asking the defensive line to come up with strip sacks and things like that. And holding onto the ball from that standpoint is what Sam Ellinger really excels at. Like He's taken much, much harder hits and, and walked away just fine. No, no doubt. I mean, and and that's the thing, but you got to force some things. And I'm kind of curious to see because they do throw the ball. I mean, maybe against Iowa State and Kansas State, look at those two offenses. Because I complained in the Kansas State game when we were talking, they didn't blitz enough, you know. And granted, you could get burned because Ellinger's got good legs, but they are a team. You mentioned how much they throw the ball, especially this year. You can maybe take those chances, and I'm wondering if they don't try to get to him and force some action, force Ellinger to almost make the running decision. Like, hey, we'll take our chances. DB's going to blitz. That way, Deshaun White and Asamoah, they can wrap up and make the tackles on Ellinger a hell of a lot better than we risk making the tackle on Eagles on down the field with the secondary. So maybe that's something they look at doing. But I look for some aggressiveness out of this team. I mean. It's kind of funny when you look at this. Oklahoma's backs against the wall fully, and they've got two losses in conference. But I, I just don't know what the attitude like is in Austin because they only have one loss. But I mentioned earlier, I mean, they're a minute and a half away from being right there with Oklahoma. And I don't think they feel good about where they're at either right now. You know, there's a lot of times when you lose a game and you bounce back, and you go, you know what? That was a fluke. I don't know what's going on. I don't think. 
they're in a good spot because they know they barely survived in Lubbock. And then they got their hands headed to them in Austin by TCU. So that pressure, in a weird way, being honest with you to me, is more on Texas this week, just in some ways. And what I mean by that is that's more of a veteran club in Austin. We knew they were young in Norman. We didn't expect them to lose two games in a row going into Dallas. I'm not making an excuse. But the expectations that probably internally they had in Austin, I bet if you put true serum in Oklahoma, they knew, hey, we expect to make the playoff, but there's a chance we could stub our toe once or twice through this season. Again, didn't figure back-to-back, but I bet you they thought there's a chance we could do this. Texas was expecting to be that we're back, you know, that Ellinger talked about two years ago. Yeah, and I think where that will manifest itself is in the run game, because these are two teams that are used to not just winning games, winning at a high clip, but they're supposed to. The expectation is that they control games and they dictate games, and you do that by asserting your will on the ground, which is why I think, and this kind of ties back into to the point about being able to generate a pass rush and things like that, and and Alex Grinch's um, propensity to blitz more in this game, if he'll lean on that. I really think if Oklahoma can stop the run early, that will open up Alex Grinch to say, hey, we're getting there. We have that confidence because we're obviously making tackles if you're keeping Texas behind the chains. That's when I think that he's going to say, let's pin our ear back and let's go, boys. I, I think that, especially coming into this game, I I really, really like Roshan Johnson. I love him. I know he thought he was going to come in and be Sam Ellinger's understudy at quarterback. I think he is a bona fide playmaker at the running back position. But Ingram, he's fine, but he's not a guy that... Robin he, he knows the real deal. Yeah, it's like Ingram's one of those guys that yeah, he'll get you the yards that are there, and when you hit him, he's probably going to go down. So, like, these are this is not a running back room that you sit there like it's not Brees Hall. He's not going to be making you look silly on tape or anything like that. So I really feel like this is where Oklahoma has a chance. Their run defense has been good this season. Um, it, it's not just a, oh, they played Missouri State. Like, they held Kansas State to just 66 yards on the ground. I really feel like if OU can come out – and do that early, that's where the pressure is going to really ratchet up on Texas because, like you said, then they go, well, shoot, guys, it's happening again. We're failing to control the line of scrimmage. It's all on Sam's arm, and that's not the recipe we want to win football games. Sam Ellinger is a great playmaker, but that was what we said from his freshman year. If he's throwing the ball 40 times, you're probably in a bad spot. So I feel like that's where, if Oklahoma can have that success early, that's where maybe it flips and the pressure really, really falls on the Longhorns. No, I, I think you're right. And the other running back, uh, Bijan Robinson, though, you want to talk about a kid that's a freak? That, that yes. I will say, if there's an X factor for Texas, because I'm like you, you know, Johnson, and they're both good players. But the X factor to me is Robinson. If they go to him a lot, he's that shifty back that is just powerful. He's fast. He can make teams pay quickly. Now, he didn't end up doing it last week, but. He's kind of that X factor. If they put some stuff in for him, that could maybe loosen up that defensive line because all of a sudden you're having to worry about this guy that's a little more elusive and a little more dynamic than the other running backs on that Texas roster. But you're right. Overall, running back room doesn't scare you for Texas. Now, to be honest, there's nothing that truly scares you to me, Ryan. They're all just good players at Texas. Right. Well, and I feel like that's been their problem the last few years is that 
with Tom Herman, you've seen from the tail end of Mac Brown to Charlie Strong, Tom Herman has come in and he's put really, really solid guys across the board. But for whatever reason, they haven't been that explosive team that you expect from the highest end of college football. And that means that in years past, while we've talked about OU playing a ton of close games, what Texas has been is what OU is this year. Is they're in those close games and can't come out on top in all of them except one any given year because they don't have basically you know an all-time great offense on one side of the ball. So I really feel like more than ever the last few years, for, for the first time in a long time, we have two teams coming into the Cotton Bowl that are really looking at themselves in the mirror. But the problem is, and here's where I struggle to go ahead and give the nod and say that OU is going to get over the hump in conference play, is that six of the last eight of these games have been decided by one score or less. Both OU and Texas, like we said, Texas probably should be 0-2 right now, but they, for whatever reason, were able to come back against Texas Tech and see themselves winning that game. And then against TCU, honestly... I know we've said they should be 0-2, but I really feel like they should be 1-1 and and the result should have just flipped. They should have lost to Texas Tech, but they have the ball going in on the one-yard line. Like, when's the next When's right. the next time you're running back in that game? They got manhandled in that game. They had no business being in well, the here's, game. Here's the thing. They got manhandled, they turned the ball over, and they still should have won the TCU game. That's what I... Oh. If they don't fumble the ball on the one yard line, Randy, they're going in. I don't have any faith in Max Duggan to go back down the field one last time when the Texas defense finally had generated any bit of of. uh, I I don't know. The way that defense played for Texas on Saturday, it reminded me a lot of like, you know, it's the 2018 OU team. You had no faith in making a stop. Your only key for Texas in that game on Saturday was that if Max Duggan got the ball. He scored on the first play where your offense had a chance to go back and run out the clock and score to win. I'll give you that. They could have scored to win again. But I had zero faith that, oh, yeah, they're going to stop TCU here. TCU did what they wanted in the second half. Watching watching that game, I I thought it was toast until they fumbled. Yeah, no, I, I never worried a moment for TCU. But here's the thing. Regardless, against Texas Tech, Texas has seen themselves win one of these games. OU hasn't done it yet. Yeah, no, I agree. So, and that's the problem. I think that's the problem right now. So, and that's that's just what makes it hard. Do you, but I, I don't know, Randy, it, do you go the other way and think that maybe of all the places with your back against the wall, it, it's going to be the Cotton Bowl where it's put up or shut up time. This is whatever happens Saturday is what this Sooner team is, win or lose because of losing two straight and going into this game. I think part of it, and that's why, you know, before we even started the podcast, you know, I said, I don't know what to think of this game because I said it earlier in the podcast. I think there's just as much pressure, if not more, on Texas right now than Oklahoma. I mean, because no one's getting fired at Oklahoma. And who knows, in a pandemic year, maybe no one gets fired at either spot. But the amount of heat that's going to be under Tom Herman's seat if they lose this game on Saturday compared to the amount of heat under Lincoln Riley from people that matter, it's not even in the same ballpark. I mean, basically, you've got Tom Herman in boiling water, and maybe you have some angry big donors at OU turning on the stove at OU. You know? And so that's why I'm like, the pressure factor, that's why it's like my head, 
and everything says Texas. My heart even says Texas is going to win this game. But just when you think about all those factors, I don't know if they're mentally tough enough to deal with, with what they're doing this week. That's right. my question. I mean, they already had a player enter the transfer portal from the defensive backfield this week for Texas. Right. And I'm out. Peace. I'm you done. And, and so that right there tells you that can't be a good place right now. Cannot be a good locker room to be in. I know it's one guy, but still, it's OU Texas week and you're transferring. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's it's not just that he's transferring in the middle of the year. It's that at these two programs, when the calendar flips to October, if you're not like full speed ahead, locked in, you're you're going to get yourself beat in that Cotton Bowl. That's what we saw with the tail end of uh, Bob Stoops is what the, everyone's frustration is that OU's double uh, double digit favorites in that game. And they strolled in assuming they were going to win. And that's what everyone says is that you cannot do that in this game. This is the true meaning of throw the records out the door, all that stuff. Cause it, it just means so much more, but looking at this, Randy, I, I know we like to do this here. So here's what Vegas is saying. OU oh two and a half point favorites over under set at about 72 OU two and a half point favorites. Correct. Correct. I, I guess I haven't looked at the lines. I'll be honest. I have not looked at the lines. Are you serious? Uh, Randy, I mean, your shock is has made me doubt myself, even though I checked it. Yeah, OU two and a half point favorites. Okay, quadruple it. I mean, you could have told me to pick them, and I said, oh, because they're both struggling, I, I buy it. You know, I never, you could have never convinced me OU a two and a half point favorite. And he, so the Sooners getting two and a half. ESPN's FPI. Yeah, no one touch it, by the way. But ESPN's FPI, which it's not perfect by any means. But it's just weird that you hardly ever see this kind of discrepancy where Oklahoma's favored by a two and a half and Texas is given the 67% chance to win the game. It just shows you how I think that more than anything shows you no one knows what the hell is going on this weekend. It's a it's a 72 point total, which means that Vegas has it at basically over at yeah, 95. Yeah, take the over. <laughs> Vegas basically is saying that that they believe it'll be 37 and a half to 35 in favor of OU. Take it, you, take it all day long. 38 or not. I, yeah. I, I feel like this is, and I actually am picking this game to go under, and here's why. Because it's absolutely going to be a shootout. I just think it'll be a sloppy shootout. And I think that both sides are going to have turnovers, which are going to take points off the board. And it's not necessarily going to be because of high-level defense. I think it's going to be one of those games where you see the ball is just fluid between the 20s, and you see uh, the team that makes fewer red zone turnovers is probably going to win this game. I, I could see that. And I'll say this in, in prediction radio, if you will, or podcasting. Difference in the ball game is going to be defense. Does Oklahoma get that key turnover? I mean, do they add their third turnover of the year? Oh my God, could could that happen? You know, or does Texas take advantage of a freshman a couple of times and get a couple of key picks? Or, I mean, we saw fumbles as well. You know, Seth McGowan. I I, I think it's crazy. It's funny to say because everyone goes, "Oh, you could always say it hinges on this." I think this year more than anyone. It hinges on the defense, and it's back to me saying take the over at 72. I think it hinges on the defense just because maybe you're up 37, 35, and they're driving whoever's up, and they get the right interception at the right time just to stop the game right then and there. Not right. because either defense played great. 
Yeah, it's it's just so weird because when, when I'm, I've looked at it and gone back and forth, and I think that the team that has played the best stretch of football is OU in the first half of either conference mm-hmm. game. But I would take all four quarters of Texas over either of the fourth quarter uh, performances by the Sooners. So it's one of those things that if OU can come out and they've preached it, if they can find that consistency, I feel like it truly has the making to be one of those just everything comes out in one game and OU like OU could totally put it on them. But I just I don't have faith in them to come out with that consistency. And I am going to end up going with, like I said, I think there will be a lot of turnovers in this game. I think Texas win by a field goal, 34-31. I like that score in that neighborhood, you know, as far as – but I'm going to go more like 41-38 because I'm telling you. Right. Even with turnovers, they're going to come back and they're going to score. I don't see Texas shutting down the offense. It's so funny this year. People are criticizing this offense, and I don't mean it's – a record-breaking offense like Tyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, or even Jalen Hurts. But you've seen Spencer Rattler make adjustments, like in the Iowa State game, where he tucked the ball and even talked about it in the press conference this week. I said, I got to get, he said, I got to get those few yards. I, I need to read the offense. You know, so he's making little adjustments. So I expect him to play even a little better this week, you know, against Texas. So I think they're going to score points. Now, it's just going to be, can the defense get, that one more stop. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I'm honestly, when, when it comes to the offense, and this is crazy to think about, I'm more concerned with Lincoln playing this game a little too conservative, just because we've seen in times where Oklahoma has struggled to establish the run, Lincoln is more prone to shy away from going for it on those, you know, short yardage, shy away from, from the first touchdown instead of the field goal. Yeah, exactly. First drive last week, second drive where Spencer had to talk him into it, you know, and and we've seen it in this game last year where Jalen, he wasn't, it wasn't the ground game. He was unconfident, but it was, I I think it was the fact that he wasn't sure that Jalen was going to hold on to the football every single play. So there were a few times where, yeah, Yeah, exactly. There were a few times where I think everyone else would have been like, oh, well, you know, Lincoln would go for this when, you know, you're kicking field goals. I just field goals are going to get you beat in the Cotton Bowl. And that's my like worry is that if OU can't if OU can't establish the ground game early, then I'm I'm worried that as a play caller, Lincoln might actually get in his head a little bit in those big moments instead of just being, hey, let's ride, which maybe you need it. Maybe you just need Alex Grinch to go down there and and Lincoln just needs to tell Alex hey, I don't care how bad the defense is playing. I need you to run down the field and tell me, go for it. We've got this, all that stuff. You need that guy to just, a rational confidence guy to be like, don't worry about it. We got it back here. Exactly. You want my weird prediction for the game? I look to see the Wildcat ran at least five times with TJ Fledger. Because I'm still trying to figure out where it was against Iowa State. Remember when he ran it against K-State? Yeah. It was nice because it wasn't just get the ball and run forward. It gave Fledger the ball. He was able to see his movement, and he got, I think, five or six yards on the play. Right. I think that's something that hopefully they learned. You know what? When we are struggling to run the ball, this is something that helps us run the ball. Let the running back have it to start with and go. And here's another thing, and wow, we've done a terrible job of wrapping this up. It's probably my fault. But here's a way that I think we talked about needing one more wide receiver to step up Here's the way that I think you can either get Marvin Mims or Theo East. I'd go with one of those guys instead of Rambo in this spot, just because we've kind of talked about Rambo sometimes gets into dance mode. 
the reverses have been very effective mm-hmm. against this Texas team. You you run that early. I know it'll look like a Josh Heupel offense starting the game off with the reverse or things like that, but you run that early, and maybe all it takes is Theo Weiss or Marvin Mims to get his hand on the ball, get 10, 15 yards right off the bat, and that's the little spark they need to play confidently the entire day and, and push the scale over in their favor. And I know you're worried about Riley being conservative. I expect him to open it up, especially in that first drive. If OU wins the toss, they take offense first. That's my they sh- prediction. They should. I, the real question, I guess, is how many trick plays is Riley going to shoehorn into this game in weird spots that make you go, what What has happened? They, like, it works, right. but you're just confused. I don't think he will at first. I think he's going to see how the offense does. If it has any sputtering moments, Katie barred the door on trick. It is going to be this is, like I said, for for one of the more lackluster on paper Red River rivalry games that we've had, this should live out to the shootout moniker and it should be a ton of fun. I cannot wait for everything to get rolling on Saturday because I have no idea what's going to happen. I I think you're kind of in that same boat, Randy. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be interesting. I'm not excited for it like you normally are, but I'm intrigued for it. How about that? Intrigue. That's a great way to say it. That's a great way to say it. After the game, as always, we will be here with you for our immediate post-game reactions. Be sure that you give at RJ Heights 1077 a follow and at Radius Ryan. That is where you can, hey, we we like to ask questions, get your reactions after the game. Look out there. That's where the info will be for as soon as it's coming out and where you get those questions and always all of your Heisman Park Rangers goodness. But until next time, Randy, have a good weekend. And uh, it's just unfortunate I won't see you in the Cotton Bowl on Saturday. No doubt. Oh, well, TV is just as good right now, right? Yeah, the, the beer is a lot cheaper, actually, at home. Exactly. So, and yeah, yeah exactly. so, something to look forward to. Uh, you know, happy Saturday, everybody. It's OU Texas Week. Let's get excited.